Good morning, Southview Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Here are your three big announcements for the week. Be sure to join us for our Easter weekend celebration. We'll kick it off with a night of worship, Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m., right here in the sanctuary. Then on Saturday, April 8th, beginning at 3 p.m., we'll have our annual picnic on the grounds. If you plan on attending, please text the word PICNIC to 910-424-1298. This just gives us an accurate headcount for food purposes. Then we'll finish our weekend celebration with our Sunday worship services right here in the sanctuary, both at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. You won't want to miss this chance to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in being a part of our Vacation Bible School the week of June 5th, text the word VBS to 910-424-1298. There are multiple opportunities to serve, and you're not going to want to miss this amazing week. Hey, men, did you know that the men's retreat for 2023 registration is now open? Last year's was so amazing. The cost is $175 for adult men, $110 for boys, and there is a $50 registration fee due at the time of sign-up. If you plan on attending, text the word RETREAT to 910-424-1298. Hey everyone, we encourage you to download the Southview Baptist Church app. You can find it at Google Play or iTunes. This allows you to see all of the announcements, sign up for events, even join a journey group. You can listen to previous sermons. You can even download the notes for today's sermon. There are multiple ways that you can give here at Southview Baptist. One is through the app. The other one is in either of the giving boxes at the side doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you're a guest visiting with us today, thank you. We are so glad that you're here. We'd love to connect with you. If you'll text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This is how we can begin to get to know you, pray for you, and see specific ways that we might be able to minister to you. Thank you again for being with us today. We pray you are blessed by the service. Amen and hallelujah. How are you guys? I am so excited to be here that we get to worship our Lord and Savior together. You know, one of the things I love most about Brad, our lead pastor, is that he's really good, not only on the platform, but he's really good in like in the staff meetings and just throughout the week, he's really good about reminding us why we do what we do, you know? Like it's not just a job, it's not, we're not building a kingdom, it's all about furthering the kingdom, the gospel of Christ. And so the same thing is true when we come here and we worship together through song and through prayer, right? So I wanted to encourage you through these uh, verses. In 1 Peter, Scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And then also in Scripture, we see where it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus and I think that that is important that as as Christ has been resurrected that those that believe we have been resurrected 
with him. We have something to sing and celebrate that the God of the universe calls you and calls me brother and sister. God calls us children, right? He calls you co-heirs with Christ. He calls you holy, blameless. And my prayer as we sing and as we pray that these things are true worship from our hearts and that our lives are further transformed so that we see God in all his glory and he is our greatest treasure. So stand with me and let's sing. God, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for these timeless truths that never change, that we have been resurrected with the living God, and we give you all the praise and glory. In Christ's name.
changes, never falters. Prisoner has been set free. Praise be to God. Another in the fire, standing. 
just so much and so great. I ask you, Lord God, now as we just spend a little time in your word, I ask you, God, Holy Spirit, that you would bring your word alive to us in our hearts, in our spirits. May our spirits connect with you, Holy Spirit, and your word accomplish its great purpose of teaching us and rebuking us, correcting training us up so that as we, the men and women of God, can be perfectly and adequately equipped for every good work you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Do this in us today for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, let's find Colossians chapter 3 together. Colossians chapter 3. It is great to be with you today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I am the pastor here at Southview, and it is wonderful to have you today worshiping with us. It's good to be back with you. We were gone for a couple of weeks. My wife and I were down in South America with another couple in our church, the Crown Hearts. We're helping train some uh, pastors and other church leaders there in Bolivia. Uh, wonderful opportunity. In a couple of weeks, um, we're going to share a little more in depth as to what that was and what that looked like and what that might mean for us as a congregation being a part of, partnering. It's just, I think, uh, has the possibility of being a great opportunity there. But thank you so much for your prayers for us. We, we felt it. We believed it. Um, you definitely sustained us through all of that, so thank you so much. Uh, one more quick thing also before we jump into Colossians. Uh, Mia, in our uh, announcement video, mentioned Easter, and I want to just do a quick plug for that as well, because believe it or not, Easter is in two weeks. That's crazy. So Easter floats. Um, I, so every year Easter falls somewhere in between President's Day and July 4th. I never know. Right, somewhere in there. Uh, a little early this year, so we just got a couple of weeks before Easter. We got a big Easter weekend planned for you, and I want to encourage you, mark your calendars for this. So it's going to begin Friday night, Good Friday, 7 o'clock in here. We're going to have a worship night uh, there on Good Friday. And, and in all honesty, listen, our Good Friday worship 
nights might be one of my favorite things we do in the entire year. Uh, you, you really don't want to miss this. Come be a part of that. Good Friday night, 7 o'clock. It is fantastic. Then on Saturday, we're going to have a big church-wide picnic hangout starting at 3 o'clock. Come and be a part. But I want you to do a few things for me, okay? Number one, register. We want to know how many we're looking at. So text the word picnic to 910-424-1298. Sign up, you and your family. While you're doing that as well, you can sign up to volunteer. We've got some volunteer opportunities for you while you're here. You can sign up uh, to do some of that. Also, I want to encourage you, if you're coming, two things to bring. Bring a lawn chair for you to sit in, all right? You're going to need to sit somewhere. And then two, if you can, for your family, bring a dessert. Bring a dessert to share uh, and uh, hang out with everybody. It's going to be fantastic. And then we'll be back here Easter Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11, worshiping Jesus. It's going to be a packed house. going to be a lot of people here. You're going to want to come early. Bring a friend, 9.30 and 11. It's going to be great. All right? So don't forget those things. All right, Colossians. So we are currently in a series in the book of Colossians called Jesus is Greater Than Everything. And the big idea behind the book of Colossians is that Jesus is colossal, right? Jesus is great and enormous and glorious and huge. And as you see how awesome Jesus is, how he is the greatest treasure in the universe, how he is more glorious than anything, you love him and desire him and pursue him and want him more than anything else. Uh, A scripture that I've been using in this series is one of my favorite parables of Jesus, Matthew 13, 44. Just a simple, short, one-verse parable of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The idea behind the parable is that Jesus and his gospel are the greatest treasure in the universe. And that when you find Jesus as that great treasure, you're willing to give up anything and everything in this world to pursue him and go after him. When you see Jesus for who he is, it changes you. That's the big idea, right? You see him as the greatest treasure, so it changes you. Think about financially. So if I'm in my mid-40s, um, so I've lived long enough to see ups and downs financially and uh, by God's grace be a little different space now than Marie and I were when we got married. When Marie and I got married, we were young, dumb college kids. Uh, in fact, um, we lived in a dorm room when we got married. That's a true story. Uh, after our honeymoon, I carried her across the threshold of our dorm. It was awesome, so romantic. So we had nothing, right? We were just broke, and, you know, we're living off ramen and those little microwave macaroni and cheese bowls, right? We just had nothing. But then, by God's grace, over time, you know, our financial situation has changed. We've been able to save and invest and all those things. And so now, there are things that I used to really think hard about buying 20 years ago that isn't much of a decision for me now. Does that make sense, right? When your financial situation changes... The things that you really think hard about buying change. Same thing with this. The idea is when you see Jesus as this greatest treasure and you receive him as this great treasure, it changes you. It's like you receiving generationally changing wealth, right? You get that email from uh, your long-lost relative in Libya. 
right? And he's like, listen, I've got great news. Just send me your routing number, and I will deposit $10 billion into your account. Like, well, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That has to be true. When you receive generational wealth, when you receive something that just changes everything, then you now live differently. And the idea behind the book of Colossians is when you see Jesus as the great and glorious treasure that he is, it changes you. So Colossians has four chapters, and it breaks down really neatly. Chapters 1 and 2 are largely doctrinal and theological in nature, right? uh, Chapters 1 and 2 are focused on seeing who Jesus is. Right? Jesus is creator, Jesus is sovereign Lord, Jesus is the Savior. Right? Doctrinally, who Jesus is is seeking to unearth and uncover who Jesus is. Then chapters 3 and 4, we're going to start today, switch and are very practical in nature. Chapters 3 and 4 are more about, okay, so you see who Jesus is, now how should that change the way you live? Right? Chapters 1 and 2 are about the supremacy of Christ. Chapters 3 and 4 are going to be about you and I and our submission to Christ. So chapter 2 kind of culminates and wraps up in Colossians 2 verse 12. So I want to read that to you just to kind of get an idea of where we are to bridge into chapter 3. So Colossians 2.12 says, You have been buried with Jesus in baptism in which you also were raised with Jesus through faith in the powerful working of God. What he's getting here is you have died and you've risen now to a new life in Jesus. Right? You're dead and now you're alive to a brand new thing. Right? So when you die, things change. Would we agree? Right? There are things that you do when you're alive that you don't do now that you're dead. Right? You don't breathe, you don't walk, you don't move, you don't talk. Right? You're dead. And the idea is you've died to this world and the things of this world, and you've risen again to new life in Jesus. And as a result of that, things about you should be different. So we're going to pick that up in Colossians chapter 3. And here's our big truth for today that I want you to see. The big truth that's going to drive all of this is, because we have been made new by Jesus, we have a different focus, which leads to a different lifestyle. So there's one word I want you to set your heart on today. Focus, all right? We're all going to say it together on the count of three. Focus, ready? One, two, three. Oh, very good. Where are you focusing? So think about when you're driving a car. Wherever you're looking, wherever your attention is focused, that is where you're going to drift, right? If I'm looking, my attention is focused over here, it doesn't matter that I want to drive straight. It is inevitable I will drift where I'm looking. What I want you to see today is this. Where you look matters. Where you're focused matters. It changes things. It impacts things. So Colossians chapter 3. Let's pick it up. In verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him 
in glory. So, there are two words that I want you to circle. Verse 1, I want you to circle the word seek. Verse 2, I want you to circle the word set. All right? So most of your translations are going to use those words, seek and set. The NIV is a little different. The NIV in verse 1 is going to say, set your heart on the things that are above. And then verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above. Now, there's a part of that I like. I like the fact that the NIV seeks to explain that you need both the heart and the head setting your on Christ. I like that. But it's actually two different words. Verse 1, seek. Verse 2, set. So the word seek means literally to pursue treasure. To pursue treasure. Exactly what we're talking about with that Matthew 13, 44 parable of Jesus. Jesus is the great treasure. And you seek him and you pursue him. You seek after Jesus as this great and glorious and awesome treasure. Then verse 2, set. Set your mind on the things that are above. The word set means that the phrase set your mind is actually one word in Greek. Set your mind means to have an idea cemented in your thoughts as fact and true and foundational for everything, right? This is fact and nothing will waver me from that, right? All of math is built off the foundation that 2 plus 2 is 4, right? That is foundational and then everything is built off this. Same thing with this, this idea that there's an idea, a, re- a, a truth that is cemented, set into your mind. This is fact. So it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Pursue Jesus, his life, his kingdom, his truth as your greatest treasure. And then set your mind on Jesus and what he says about you. What he says is true about you as your greatest foundational reality. Seek and set. And those two verbs are in what's called the present active imperative. What that means is this. These are commands of God that you would keep doing these things. Keep seeking Jesus as the great treasure. Keep setting your mind on Christ and what he says is true of you. Keep seeking. Keep setting. Keep seeking. Keep setting. The idea is this. Where you focus your heart and your mind matters. What you think about matters. And so he's telling you, since you're dead to this world and you're alive in Christ, seek Jesus. Why? Verses 3 and 4 is going to tell you why this matters. Verse 3, 4, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God now. The reason you seek Jesus, the reason you set your mind on Jesus is because you're dead to this world. And you're alive now just in him. And verse 4 adds an even finer point on it. I love verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus isn't just a part of your life. Jesus is not just a big part of your life. Jesus literally is your life. And that is not a matter of semantics. That is a matter of you being powerful in the kingdom of God and you being weak in the kingdom of God. If you believe that Jesus is just a big part of your life and yeah, 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 I try to make him first and yeah, you've missed it. It's not it. No, Jesus, you must understand, literally is my life. 
And there's going to come a day where I'm going to be with him forever. But I, he's not going to be more my life then than he is now. He is right now my very existence. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things on this earth. How many of you have ever heard the expression, uh, that person is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good? You ever heard that? Can I be honest with you? In all my years, I've never met a single person in my life who was so heavenly minded there were no earthly good. I've never met that person. I've never met anyone where I looked at them and said, you know what? You need to think about Jesus a little less. I really feel like it's messing you up here on earth. You need to, you need to think about this fallen rock of a planet. That's what you need to think about. Not so much Jesus. I've never met that person. But you know who I talk to literally every day? Those of us who are so earthly minded, we are now no heavenly good. You think so much of this earth. You think so much of the things of this earth. You seek what this world tells you you need to seek. You set your mind on what this world tells you you should set your mind on. And as a result of that, you are now no heavenly good. But he tells us here in verse 2, look at it specifically. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Again, look at that word not, like all the words matter. Not just what you should do, but very specifically what you should not. Set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is, not the things of this earth. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. So which the question to there comes from, uh, comes to, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you set your mind on the things above? What does that even mean? Set your mind on heaven? Well, I can't see, touch, taste, feel heaven. How am I supposed to set my mind on that? What does it even mean? I've got good news. I believe every person in this room has been wired in your brain since you were a young child how to set your mind on the things above. You just didn't know it. Here's how it works. How many of you in the room would say that you know how to worry? Anybody? You know how to worry? Awesome. The rest of you are liars, and you'll stay tuned for verse 9. All right? <laughs> Since you were a child, you have known how to worry. So what is worry? Worry is this. Worry is you place in your mind a thought about a future event that has not happened yet. Something tomorrow that you cannot see, taste, touch, or smell. You set your mind on what might potentially happen. This could be what happens. This might be the result. This potentially is the fallout. You set your mind on some future imaginary event that hasn't even happened yet. And as a result... The more you meditate on that and think about that and think about that and think about that, it begins to change you. It changes you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It literally How many of you have ever had someone come up to you and say, you look worried? Worry literally changes your face. How is your face changed? 
Your face has changed because of something you have set your mind and your heart on. And you have meditated on this and meditated on this and meditated on this to the point where it has literally impacted physically. How many of you, I'm worried sick. It literally changes you physiologically. And it comes from you setting your mind on something. What happens if my marriage isn't reconciled? What happens if my child doesn't repent and come back to Christ? What happens if I lose my job? What, right? And we pick this future imaginary thing, and we think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it, setting our minds on it, and it changes us. See, here's the thing. Satan cannot create. All he does is counterfeit. What Satan does is he takes something created by God, twists it, warps it, deforms it, and then gives it to you in a perverted state to sell it to you. I would submit this. Ever since you were a small child and you began to worry about things, what happened was this. Satan took Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, twisted it upside down, and gave it to you. What worry is, is now you setting your mind on the things of this earth and not the things that are above. What I'm suggesting is this. Here's how easy it is to set your mind on the things that are above. Flip it. Instead of thinking so much about this earth and what might happen and what could happen and what if this and what if that, you set your mind on the things above. I don't know if my spouse is going to come back to me and never love me again. But Jesus, I know your love for me is never going to end. So I'm going to set my mind on that. I don't know if my child is going to repent and come home. But I know, Jesus, that you love them and you died for them and you're pursuing them to do that. I don't know if I'm going to keep my job and be able to pay my bills. But Jesus, you know the future. It's all in your hands. And I trust you that you're going to supply my needs. You see, it's, it's taking the same situation and setting our mind above rather than on this earth. Set your mind on the things that are above. How you live your life begins with where your focus is, what you think. Where are you setting your mind? Colossians 3, 2 is pivotal for our development and sanctification in the Lord. How you're going to grow in the Lord, how you're going to turn from sin, how you're going to grow in holiness is by first setting your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. And as we do that, here's what's going to happen. The more you set your mind on the things that are above, God's going to begin to show you things in your life that needs to be removed. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That's a gift from God. The more you set your mind on the things above, the more God is going to bring conviction and say, hey, so what about this and what about this and what about this? And that brings us to verse 5. So when we set our focus on the things that are above, things start to come into focus. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So, as we 
See who we are in Christ and set our mind on the things of Christ. Set our heart on the things that are above. Seek Jesus as our greatest treasure. What that means now is this. There are things in us that are earthly. Things that are of this earth. Things that are sinful that must now be dealt with. If you focus your mind and heart on this earth, you will begin to live like the people of this earth. But if you set your mind and heart on the things of heaven, you will begin to live more and more and more like a citizen of heaven. And as you set your mind on the things that are above, you're going to come to realization that there are some things in you earthly that need to die. And he gives here a couple of lists, one in verse 5 and one in verse 8. Now the point of lists in the Bible is not to say, here are the sins you need to not do, and if your sin isn't on this list, congratulations, you can keep doing it. The point of a list is to kind of give a, an idea, like here's some things to be thinking about, just to kind of get your brains moving, right? Of here are some of the earthly things that need to be put to death in us. So look at the first list, verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's what I want you to notice. Out of this first list of, of earthly things that need to be put to death in you. Four of the first five sins are sexual in nature. Four of the first five that he chooses to pick are sexual in nature. Uh, Look at them. Sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. Um, You should very easily see what English word we're eventually going to get from that. Porneia, pornography. And porneia is sort of a junk drawer term of any sexual sin, right? It's just this big, giant, general idea. So the Bible teaches that the only form of true and right biblical God-given sexual expression is a biological man. Five years ago, I never added that word. A biological man and a biological woman in covenant marriage for life. Only within that context can any form of sexual expression happen. Now I know there are people in the room right now that are thinking, that seems very narrow. Bingo, bingo. It is extraordinarily narrow. Yep. Anything outside of that, in that, on top of that, beside that, over that, in that, right, right, all the prepositional, not good. Sin. Why does God make it so narrow? So in a couple of months, I'm actually, we're going to do a, if, if God wills, we'll do a, a series on biblical manhood and womanhood. And, and a part of all that's going to be sexuality. We're going to talk through sex in kind of a little more in-depth biblical way. But the big idea is this. God gave us that. Sex is not just a physical act of the body. Sex is a spiritual act designed by God to unite supernaturally a husband and a wife in a union that is bigger than physical. That's the whole point of sex. And if you take that and rip it out of that and use it in any other context, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is going to say, you are are sinning against yourself. You are literally eating cancer waiting to die like it is destructive to you think about like fire right when you put fire in your fireplace it brings warmth 
and, and enjoyment, and ex- like it's nice. Like fire, who doesn't like fire in a fireplace? Like, woo, this is nice. We'll turn our fireplace on in July just for the heck of it, right? Like, woo, this feels nice. But what if you instead said, you know what? That fire in that fireplace is so good, I bet it'd be even better if we set the couch on fire. Right? That's not going to go great, correct? As long as it is within the confines that it was created to be in, it brings, it brings warmth, it brings enjoyment, it's a tool used to accomplish things. You can cook and blah, blah, blah. But if you try to take that outside of the confines it was created for and do it elsewhere, it brings destruction. Sexual immorality is not just like stupid Bible-thumping preacher guys saying, don't do it. God is saying, I have something better for you. I have something better. Trust me for the better thing. So sexual immorality. And then it lists a few other words. Impurity. Impurity means any thought or intention, any thought in your mind or intention of your heart that is not perfectly pure. Specifically, not entirely, but specifically for this when it comes to sexuality. Any thought in your mind that's ever been impure? Any intention or desire in your heart that's been less than pure? That's it. Passion. The word passion means to be obsessed with a thing that's probably going to end up hurting you in the end. Evil desire to crave and want something that's been forbidden from you. You see how all of this fits in with this idea of of sexual morality? And then I love he tacks on the end covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. It's like, oh, by the way, not only craving that stuff, but all the other stuff you're craving, yeah, that's idolatry. What do you think it means that he's writing to Christians, right? This isn't a letter to be dropped off at your local frat house. This was a letter that was read inside a church. It's like, hey, you've been made new in Jesus. So that means here are the things you need to put to death in you. All your immorality, sexual immorality, all the impure thoughts you're having, all those obsessions that you're just craving to scratch, all those evil desires of things that you know God told you not to do, all that stuff, you need to put that to death. What about us in our congregation? What about us? Are we going to sit here today and say, whew, I'm so glad in the last 2,000 years sexual sin has stopped being a problem for Christians. Thank goodness that's not anything we have to worry about anymore. I hope we all know that's ridiculous. I mean, Barna Research, George Barna, he's a Christian researcher. He has said 47%, almost half, 47% of Christian homes say that pornography is a significant issue inside their house. 53% of Christian men, 53, that's going to be over half, 53% of Christian men admit to regularly viewing pornography. And it's not just a guy issue. Out of all the pornography viewed online, currently one-third is viewed by women. Can, Can I just take a quick parenthetical thought for a second? One of the things that we're not talking about enough is the 
astronomical rise in Christian women struggling with pornography. That growth is through the roof. And I want you to hear my heart today. Jesus desires to set you free. Jesus desires to set you free. That does, and, and it's even tougher for ladies because, so, so like in, in men's ministry circles, it's kind of one of those understood things, right? It's like, all right, look, we know this is an issue. Let's talk about it, right? When I do premarital counseling, I do one-on-one with the guy, and I'll sit the guy down. And I'm like, all right, so real quick, let's talk about you and porn. He's like, whoa, I have never struggled with that. I'm like, so I got a meeting after this. I don't have time. So let's chat about that for a second, right? It's just kind of an understood thing. What's going to mess our ladies up is it's, it's not that. It, for, when, when it comes to ladies, it, again, because it's just been, over the last several years, just the growth has been freakish. And, and you feel like you're the only one, and you're all alone, and what's wrong with me, and I'm broken. And I want you to hear me. Jesus desires to set you free. But not just with pornography. I, I am... So give me a quick, like, let Uncle Brad just talk to you just for a second. So for our young folk in the room, right? And by young, I mean high school, college, 20s, uh, older, I don't know. I am dumbfounded by the amount of Christian singles having sex. Like, I am floored by this. Like, it's happening constantly. Like, it's all the time. The amount of Christian singles are like living together. It's like, you know we got a verse on that, right? It's kind of a thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, what? No, listen, God has a better thing. And listen, let's, let's get really, all right, so, so if, if I'm already being viewed as Bible thumper guy, I might as well lean full into it. So let's go to verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. God does not think this is minuscule and no big deal. He doesn't care that everyone's doing it. He's going to crush them too. The wrath of God is falling on this. Well, I feel like we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. God's eyes are fiery red with wrath. Like, that's a problem. Gentlemen, think about it like this. What if a dude was doing that to your daughter? What would you want to do to him? That's God's daughter you got your hands on. You may want to think about it. That's God's daughter. And he says wrath is coming for this. Wrath. You may be able to outrun her dad. You can't outrun God. This matters. It matters. And it's significant that this was being spoken to a church. And so for us here, let's be honest. Isn't this still an issue for us? Isn't this still an issue? But Jesus Christ died and rose again so that you could be set free from it. That doesn't have to be your reality anymore. And then he gives another list in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Look at the list. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Here's the interesting thing about the list in verse 8. So the list in verse 5 deals primarily with sexual sin. The list in verse 8 deals primarily with how we talk to one another and about one another. Anger, right? This, this explosion of wrath that comes out. The word wrath, there's a difference between the word anger and the word wrath. Anger has to do with this explosion that seeks to bring punishment on an individual. Wrath is the same word used for a boiling pot, like you bring it to a boil and then let it drop, and bring it to a boil and let it drop. It's describing someone who, who blows up in anger and then comes back down, and then blows up in anger and comes back down. Right? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have blown up like that. Yeah, I know, you should have thought about that three minutes ago. What else? Anger, wrath, malice. Malice means to speak in a way where you're seeking to kind of jab and bring harm to someone. They're this, and they're that, and they're not this, and they're not as good. Slander. Slander is the same word in the Greek that's used for blasphemy, to speak blasphemy against God. Well, it's blasphemy. Blasphemy is speaking something wrong about God in a way that impugns his character and his nature. Same way it's saying for us, don't speak in such a way that demeans and brings people down. Demeans people. Just, just, just belittles people. It's blasphemous. And then lastly, obscene talk from your mouth. Things that are just low and crude and vulgar. And listen, we got this, this weird habit of like, there are certain groups of our friends, Christian friends, we feel like we can really talk and be honest with. Let our guard down and just say what we think. We just speak obscene, coarse jesting, foul language, dumb, stupid things. Like, why are you talking like that? Well, you knew my heart. Yeah, and God does too. That's going to be the problem. Why are we doing that? The point is, if Jesus changed you, did he change you all the time? If you're different, are you really different all the time? The answer should be yes. Right? Yes. So what do we do with these sins? Look at verse 5 again. What do we do with them? Verse 5. Put to death. Kill it. Put it to death. Do not negotiate with sin. Do not minimize sin. Do not make friends with sin. Do not try to slow down sin. Kill it. One of the great Puritan theologian pastors, John Owen, said, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The idea is your heart is like a, your home. And there's a murderous sin who is trying to creep through the window of your heart to get in and harm you. And when you see that murderous sin creeping through the window, put a bullet in its head. Kill it. Destroy it. End it. Some of you today, listen to me, before you leave this room, you need to put sin to death. Kill it before you leave this place. Don't let it remain any longer. And then verse 7 and 8 give us another idea. Verse 7, but now you must put them, excuse me, uh, verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. That is who you used to be. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. 
Like that is who you used to be, but that's not who you are any longer. And now you have to put all that away. The, that, that word, put them all away, is again one word in Greek. It means to throw out the trash. You don't collect trash in your kitchen. You don't have piles and piles of garbage bags in your house. You throw the trash away. And that's what he's saying. Throw the trash away. Don't leave it. Throw it out. Throw it out. Look now at verse 9. I want you to see what we see here. So in verses 9 and 10, really in, so in, in all of the book of Colossians and in all of this passage, here's what you see. What you see is that there's this connection between who you are and what you do. Right? Because you're this, this is now how you should live. Because this is your reality, this must be your activity. Because this is your identity, this must be your activity, right? And so it, it weaves back and forth. You see this all throughout Colossians 3. Because of this, this is how you live. Because of this, this is how you live. Therefore, so that, because, for, all these connecting words, because that's true, this is now your activity. This is how you live. And you see that here in verses 9 and 10. Again, do not lie to one another. Seeing, knowing, sense, because you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So when it says to put off, put off the old self, the idea behind it is clothing. Like my jacket. The idea is I I take off my jacket, I put it off, and I throw it away. I'm taking off the old. And then I grab the new and I wrap myself in it. And it says there that we take off the old with its practices. In other words, all that comes with it, all of the activities and all the things and all the stuff you did, when you throw off the old self, when you have trusted by faith in Jesus Christ and you threw off your old life, you threw off all the things and activities and sins that came with it. And then you wrapped yourself in a brand new life in Jesus And that new life is getting renewed day and day and day and day as you grow more and more in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and are shaped more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. This is yours. This is your opportunity. This is your reality in Jesus. And I love verse 11. 11 can feel a little bit like a tack on, but it means so much. Look at verse 11. Here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's what this means. So it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what baggage you come in here with. This is available for everyone, Gentile or Jew. Man, it doesn't matter if you grew up in such a godly family. You literally, your mother gave birth to you with the baptistry. The doctor smacked your butt and your first word was Jesus. Or you grew up in a completely different situation. Your mother gave birth to you on a bar. The doctor slapped your butt and your first words were Jack Daniels. Like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Circumcised or uncircumcised. If your parents raised you up in the ways of God, or your parents raised you up in a very different fashion, it doesn't matter. Barbarian. So the word barbarian is kind of a broad term that just means anyone from a different place or language. So if you come in here today, you're like, look, this is not my deal. This is not my bag. I don't know the words. I don't know the lingo. I don't know the culture. I don't know any of that. That's okay. You don't have to. Jesus died for you too. And then he adds that little word Scythian. Now, again, if you just read through that, you're like, I have no idea. It's so cool. The Scythians were a group of people, what's in now modern-day Russia, and at the time they were considered the most vile, barbaric, inhumane group of people on earth. They were savages. Everyone was terrified of them. And God's like, even those guys, even those guys, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what kind of baggage you're bringing with you, free or slave it doesn't matter what your life is now on earth it doesn't matter what you look like now Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again to set you free and give you a new life in him this is yours brothers and sisters so here's what I want us to do I want us to take some time and I want us to to pray and I want to circle back around to Colossians 3 verse 2. Look again what it says. Colossians 3 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things on earth. I want us to practice that. Setting our mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to think about the one thing in your life you're tempted to worry about. What's the one thing in your life you're tempted to worry about? And I want you to take some time, and instead of thinking about it in an earthly perspective, what about this, and what about that, and what if this, and what if that, I want you to take some time today and flip it. Think about it from Christ's perspective. Think about who Jesus is. If there is a sin that's just tangling up in your heart and it's hard to get rid of, don't focus on the sin right now. Worrying about, can I get rid of this? Will I ever do it again? Set your mind on Christ. Jesus, I thank you that you died for this sin. You've set me free from this sin. I trust you and your life in me. Whatever it is. So for me, I'll I'll, I'll just practical example tell you what I'm going to be praying about. So our, uh, our oldest daughter now is getting ready to head off to college and finishing up school this year. And what's a temptation for me to worry about is what the next step needs to be. Right? You got all the options in front of us, right? You know, this school or that school, and this school has this major, but it's only offering this much money. And this school has, doesn't quite have that major, but it's offering this much money. And do we do this? And do we do that? And if I'm honest, I'm very tempted to think about those things in an earthly way and draw me to worry. But I'm going to take some time today and think about it from Christ's perspective. Jesus, I thank you that you already know the future. I thank you that you already have it laid out. I thank you that you're going to give us wisdom. I just set my heart on you and I trust you. And as I was doing that this morning, 
thinking through that, praying through that very thing in that way, I could literally feel my heart getting lighter, like it's lifting up to heaven. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Just bow your heads for me just for a moment. And take some time just to set your heart before the Lord. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, not the things of this earth. See Jesus as your greatest treasure. Pursue him for everything. take time as we as we ponder these things, these truths, these great truths. God, I'm reminded of the fact that one of the greatest gifts that you through your Holy Spirit gives to all believers is the ability to at least in some form see how great our sins are. But the more we know you and the more closely we walk with you, the more we see how terrible deep these sins run in our hearts and God not only are they so deep but there's so many it just seems like it never ends <laughs> praise be to God your grace and your mercy is more so church I, I encourage you as we sing this last song his mercy is more I encourage you to just rest in these truths and if you want to stand and sing you're certainly welcome to otherwise I want you to just listen to the words and, and see the greatness and the depth that God's love and his mercy goes for you while you were a sinner while you were dead in your trespasses Christ died for So we sing and we celebrate these things. Praise the Lord, His mercy is born.
because you are the greatest treasure. I pray that everything in our lives would fall away and would be replaced by the love of Christ, the desire for Christ. Change this church into something unrecognizable for this world, Lord, that we would be your gospel lived out. Father, we thank you for these truths. Thank you for these times together. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We love you.